Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kirscher and Wendy Bolsby. Dear listeners, to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa, and as always, I'm here in person. What? Yes, <laughs> with Wendy. Yay! Yay! Oh, it's good to see you again. It's good to see Yay. you. We're on the same couch. Yes, <laughs> yes, and not in my previous basement like you keep imagining. I, like to be. after a year of podcasting, there it's like, oh no, she's like, uh, there's. There could be daylight if we ever podcasted at daytime. Oh, but, oh goodness. But no. there are like windows. Yeah. And plants. And plants. It doesn't have that sort of low ceiling. It's quite a pleasant room, actually. And and my uh, soon-to-be husband, who will probably be my husband by the time this goes up. Oh, oh this is weird. Oh, are you my, okay? <laughs> oh, that that was a... Okay. So uh, soon-to-be, then we'll be... We'll, Actually, be we'll my have husband, now been. We'll have now. We'll in heaven be my husband. <laughs> um, keeps making more plants. <laughs> There's so many plants in this house. Like, is I had he a swamp thing? Because he's swamp thing <laughs> or man thing, depending on which company you're with. But if, if Marvel or DC, which one? But no, I had a baseline of plants, and he keeps planting more plants. Dear listeners, this is. Like mid-March. Yeah. <laughs> <And he's... laughs> this is also a new behavior. I've never noticed this behavior in him before. But I've got to say, seriously, it's getting green in here. It's really green. Like you go into the you go into the porch and it smells like earth. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's an earthy, not, not unpleasant, yeah. but it's like earth. 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 Yeah, there are things growing in here. Yeah. And 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 it's not like illicit anything. It's like, and he'll give you a tour of his plantations, his little tiny ones. He doesn't he, remember he what doesn't, he plants he doesn't in, know though. He plant. He's like, and there are these things. I don't remember what those are. And I've got some more over there. And I'm like, that's... But what are they? Uh, I've got are, the seed packet somewhere. Are, well, are they tomatoes? Are they edible? Are they going to be flowers? I don't know. He what, doesn't know. He he doesn't know. And that's I, so sweet. Every time you, every time I catch him planting something and make sure he labels it. <laughs> I love the idea that you've got to catch him planting. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you planting more plants? It's March. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's involuntary. Like what? <laughs> oh shit, I'm planting again. <laughs> I, I'm budding. I couldn't help it. It's like spores. It's, it's spring. I'm budding. I, can't. Uh, I think right now we are giddy and yeah. slap happy because of oh God, what we just watched. an emotional reaction to that film. Yeah. Okay. So dear uh. listeners, um, first of all, we are both drinking water, which may be a first. <laughs> because after the film we just watched, I've. Don't need alcohol. Yeah, funny that because, oh, dear God. listeners, we watched Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, the yeah. 1966 version with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Oh, my God. Yeah. And those two, like, that's that's like watching Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla. That's like yes. watching two kaiju at the top of their game just chew at each other. Uh-huh. No, no, no. Atomic breath, atomic breath. Yeah, buzzsaw, everything, yes. God. Yeah. So, dear listeners, um, Wendy had never seen it before. I'm, I, I've seen the stage play, I've seen the movie a couple times, and I, I really had, wanted her to see it. And I, I knew had that we never would. seen, yeah. I had never seen any... The, any version of the movie, any version of a stage play, or even read the play. Mm-hmm. I literally just knew the broadest outlines of George, Martha, another couple, an evening, too much booze, very toxic. Like, that's all I knew. Because mm-hmm. this is one of the great sort of, how have you not seen this, Wendy? I know. Yeah. So Melissa was like, let's 
watch it. And I knew once I showed it to Wendy, there'd be a lot of talk about it because there's a lot to unpack. Here. Oh yeah. <laughs> <Oof. Oof>. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, dear listeners, I you... am so glad we didn't do this at a Zanacina weekend, though, because that mm-hmm. this like would have stopped things cold for a while. Like, oh yeah, how that's... do you pick up the pieces after oh, that? Oh, you just don't. You just gotta let it simmer and <laughs> kind of burn off, boil <laughs> off a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta detox. Yeah, you gotta detox. Drink some water. <laughs> uh, I might need to purge. You, you got, you gotta be like honey, you know, laying in the tile in the bathroom, peeling the labels, <laughs> peeling the labels. off the ba- bottle. Uh, uh, la, la, la. Okay. Violence! Yay! Oh, yay, violence! Oh, God. Yeah, dear listeners, if you are not familiar with Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, I recommend watching it. It's, oh, it, it, it is amazing. There's a it's reason hefty. why it's a yeah. classic. And, and it, it, it is on streaming. It's on Amazon right now. It's on Voodoo. You can rent it from the various streaming services for like two bucks. For all that it is emotionally exhausting, it is not as nihilistic as some other films. Yeah. Like, I can tell you, Requiem for, for a Dream is a beautiful film, and you should watch it. I don't understand why you would want to, but you should. Whereas with this, like, I can more unequivocally say, yes, watch it. It's, number one, it's fantastic writing. It's Edward mm-hmm. Albee's play. Number two, it is two of the best film actors that have ever been put on film yeah. at the top of their game. Like, and just with with a partner who is perfectly suited to them. Yes, Yes. And it is also Mike Nichols directing. And so it is also, in terms of just pure cinema, it is really beautiful to watch. And black and white Haskell Wexler cinematography. It is amazing. One of the reasons we picked it, aside from, you know, Wendy having never seen it, um, it came out in the summer of 1966, which means it is now 50 years old this year. And still so fucking relevant. Oh, man. And it it is... It's an amazing, amazing film. But the the magic, I mean, I feel like, you know, the magic is Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor, who were married at the time, playing this incredibly toxic married couple, which like, apparently they were in real life. Bit, I don't, but, like, you can't, you know. like, after you're done with it, how do you film that with your spouse? Yes. How How do you do that? It will either kill you or make you better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm just like, now I've got to like do a ton of research about them as a couple and making this movie because I'm sure there's information out there. Now oh, I need yeah. to know shit. I need to go investigate. Well, this. there's like an entire biopic, <laughs> apparently a really <laughs> awesomely terrible biopic starring, I think it was Lindsay Lohan as Liz Taylor or something like that. But, um. Oh, God. <laughs> it was like a made for TV movie. I got to look this up. It, but it, it was apparently just crazy but it was just about the relationship between liz taylor and richard burton but oh yeah yeah i I love watching them work together in this movie because it is just hypnotic you know we talk about like a train wreck like you can't look away yeah and often we mean like especially with movies like it's so terrible that you just you're watching despite yourself this is a true train wreck in that you are fully mesmerized by just it can't keep going oh my god but not like it's a terrible movie but no. just like you're watching a collision happen yeah and although it's not a collision i feel like it's like they're taking scalpels at each other i mean yeah. they are the, these are two really smart people yeah and they are brutal people and they know how to disassemble each other and they know how to you know and once they unite and turn on the others oh it god is they just... will in a heartbeat and that's what's fascinating yeah. their relationship oh it's so fascinating um i mean we often like comment on wow those two are made for each other in a really wrong way yeah yeah those two are really made for each other and it, i mean it's sort of it's sort of sad that two people who clearly are so well matched couldn't figure out how to be happy yeah with each other but like they're two people who never wanted to be happy and so this is their happiness to keep being impressed with how the other person fights back yeah like in a weird sort of way 
I keep attacking you and you keep effectively fighting me off and that keeps me respecting you and keeps me engaged with you and this is our weird way of loving each other. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like watching male betta fish fight. You know, they open up their fr- frills and they bite at each other and uh, yeah, yeah, it and they're just and they just pick at each other. It it's it's just amazing to watch. And and the fact that it's a real life married couple playing that couple and they're both so equally matched. They're just titanic on screen. Well, and, and there's so many like so there's that first moment when they they're like they're they've been sniping in the bedroom. Yeah. And then he says something and it makes her laugh. Mm-hmm. And then he's laughing. And there's this brief moment of just these people love each other. Yeah, and they just kind of relax into each other. And she's like, give me a big wet sloppy kiss or whatever the line is. And, and, and that's when and he then, pulls away. And and then the guards go back up again. But you see the moments where they unite and start acting kind of like normal people in love. But just for a brief a second. And it's just to let us glimpse past... Well, even the start of it, yeah. like that dialogue about what a dump. Don't you remember? What's the play? Like, that is such familiar dialogue. Yeah. Like, we've all had that dialogue. And even, and it's not even, to- it's not toxic or exasperated yet. It's just that we're both tired and I'm talking, but you're not really listening. And But wait, what's it from? Like, and I keep trying to, and I don't oh, yeah. know. Well, but help me. In Surely the, you know. In the days before IMDb, this is what life was like. <laughs> and it's... <laughs> And Siri, like, uh, Siri, what movie is it where Betty Davis says, what, what a, a dump? dump. <laughs> like, I feel like Siri would be able to answer me. <laughs> and probably play the video clip. Uh, this is what I found on YouTube. <laughs> so, but it, yeah, uh, it, it, it's an amazing piece of work. And the, the dialogue that's coming out of their mouths is just spectacular. Spectacular. And and you're you're reeling as an audience member because it keeps shifting. Yeah. And you're like, she's kind of awful. I think I'm rooting for him. Well, but what's he doing there? And because he seems sort of befuddled, but then the way he keeps dancing yeah. with his dialogue, especially around George Siegel. Yeah. Right? And keeps dancing. But then George Siegel, see, that's fascinating. Like, I want to get into sort of the Oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Once you the, once you stop being dazzled by Burton and Taylor, you can get into George Siegel and um, oh goodness, I forgot her name again. Uh, um, Sandy, Sandy Dennis, Sandy Dennis, and she's perfect. She is amazing. Like and, that is an unappreciated role to have yeah. to play. Well, she won an Oscar, did she? Yeah, Good. Elizabeth Taylor and. And Sandy Dennis both won Oscars. Good. The, the other two guys were also nominated, but they didn't win. Like that, like that would have been some The entire cast, the entire cast of this movie, everybody got nominated for Oscars. Good. This movie was nominated for, I think, 13 Oscars, which is every single category it was eligible for. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, this is like one of only a couple movies that have done that. But it's it it is such a solid piece of work. And you you recognize especially if you're a consumer a high consumer of media, mm-hmm. like books or movies or just story. You recognize like something's something is clearly going on with the sun there is something we don't know like, yeah and there is something buried in his past but we don't know quite what the truth is and then as it goes on the the question of what is true and these two keep lying yeah and they're building narratives to kind of entertain each other in a kind of a sick way and but also to their and to needle each other and to needle but also to can literally to confuse like they're fucking with their guests oh yeah i mean and they obviously don't care about those guests because they're just like yeah you shut up this is what's on the show tonight (laughs) and i feel like um you know after you know this play and you watch the movie again it's like elizabeth taylor's like i brought home a mouse do you want to play with it too (laughs) (laughs) oh there's two mice we have guests we have guests we have guests. We're going to have guests because that's what the game is we're playing tonight. We're bringing in some extras. <laughs> let's let's add some weapons. Like, because they're using them as weapons against oh, each yeah, other. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and those p- poor people, like, you almost wonder, like, what made you pick those two people? Like, 
Did you recognize that they... I think it's because they were new. <laughs> I presume... He, I mean, they've, they've clearly... Uh, uh, like, Burton and Taylor have been at the college for a while. It's like, ah, fresh blood. They don't know us yet. <laughs> Come over to our house and everybody else is... Like, <laughs> and, like, and quick, get them before anybody warns them away. <laughs> like, I'm reminded of... <laughs> In Finding Nemo, when it's the Sharks Anonymous meeting, yes. and they br- they bring their buddy, they're like, everybody brought a buddy, and the- there's just these tiny little fish just shaking there, and they're mm-hmm. like, these are my buddies. Like, that's what I picture faculty parties <laughs> yes. are kind of like, like, there's George and Martha, and there's a bunch of little fish just sort of shaking on the fringes, <laughs> like, oh God, they're coming over. Oh God. Oh, they're being friendly to me. And they're all like, fish are friends, not food. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I'm lucky I still have a part. I'm still married after spending one evening with you. God. I've turned gay. I've changed my entire life. I sought therapy. Somebody went to an asylum. All from drinking with you. Jesus. But there's so... Weirdly compelling. Oh yeah, the the it, it's great that they are clearly set up to be the inferiors of these two other characters, and yet they're fleshed out enough that they don't feel steamrolled. I mean, they are, but they aren't. Like they're being steamrolled in the play, but when you're watching the play, the characters aren't. Yeah, they're there's you know they're, they're fleshed not, out enough. They're and, they're not just patsies. Yes, they're not just patsies, and they they have their own you know they have, have their, their own, own motivations. And yeah, and there's depth. there's depth there, and you kind of can't help but wonder like what's their lives going to be like after what this night has yeah. done to them, because George and Martha are living this brutally open, throbbing wound of a marriage. Yeah, like. It's like somebody just ripped back the skin down to the muscle and you're watching, like, you're watching the heartbeat. And they came over for drinks and in the process they have had so much of their protective coatings scraped off that Mm -hmm. by the time they leave, they're wounded and bleeding too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is what you thought was pleasant and nice and now this is the truth. These are the... This is what's truly going on with both of you. Uh, off you go. It's dawn. Yeah, I feel I feel like the house of George and Martha is where other people go to be like freed from the the shells of society. In a yeah, weird like way. like let's get past the niceties and yeah. and the posturing and let's get down to the truth of what's really going on. Yeah, we'll break you. It's kind of like going into the military. We'll break you down and then build you back up again. Like, Only they don't do the building back up. They just break you down and send you out the door. Like, I kind of. I kind of can't help but wonder, like, if I had been invited over, how would I have responded to that? How would you, if you walked in at 2 a.m. after a party into George and Martha's house and you were watching all that shit play Mm -hmm. out and the way they were engaging you, like, damn, like, (laughs) would, would you stay? They certainly held on a lot longer than I probably would have. Well, first they stay out of rigid social niceties which are foolishness like Mm -hmm. right there if you had just been more honest and stronger to just be you know what fuck this shit yeah i don't give a fuck about social niceties i'm leaving because this is i don't know what's going on with you guys but i i don't need to be here to watch it yeah so right there and it's 3 a.m i want to go home (laughs) like so the very the hook that is planted to them is social niceties yes and social expectations and then they and then they get trapped there by honey being sick. Mm-hmm. And then, and then by the end, of course, they've been so reeled in. They are, that hook is so firmly planted. There is no leaving until they have been released. Mm-hmm. You may now go. Show is over. Yeah. <laughs> Please come again. <laughs> the, the play, I mean, I, as I keep mentioning, I've seen the play and the, the production I saw in the Georgia Martha rule was Patrick Stewart and Mercedes Rule. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh. That was very interesting. <laughs> my 
goodness. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it was a very good production. I feel like uh, Patrick Stewart is not quite the right actor for that role. Yeah, actually, he, I can I can see yeah. what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah. He he lacks a, a passivity. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he... The the play itself takes place in one room. It, it's just the living room. And then, you know, characters, you know, go off stage at certain points. And so different pa- characters are paired off one against each other. And it's always... You, you never see um, Honey and... Um, Nick. Nick together alone. alone. The pairings always have to involve George or Martha. But... You know, it's interesting seeing how it was adapted in the movie where, you know, you occasionally go out of the house. But I mean, it's still locked to these four characters, mm-hmm. but, you know, they occasionally change rooms, kind of like a, an indication of where the the acts change in the play. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you actually get to see them driving, which is like, oh, that's a bad idea. Oh. Because th- in this play, in this movie, the... Levels of alcohol imbibed are dangerous. Yeah, it's the how do you survive? How are you not in the hospital? How, like, where, <laughs> how many bottles do you go through a night? It's astounding how fast those glasses get. There's the get scene refilled. in the act one yeah. where um, George is talking to Nick, and literally every minute yeah like it's no more than two minutes he is grabbing his glass and going back and refilling it yes like no sooner does he refill it walk over exchange a few lines and then he like takes the glass back over to refill it again and you're just like jesus um slow down how are you how are you upright and how do you your brain's not going to survive that like you're going to be pickled yeah yeah it's yeah, no wonder Honey was sick. Yeah, she was oh, drinking oh, a lot. And brandy, too. Oh. And uh, definitely she was not prepared for that level of drinking. Uh-uh. She was, she was new. She yeah. was new to the game. You, you can tell, you know, credit to Sandy Dennis, you know, she plays that role so well. And it is so good. She, You can tell just by her demeanor and I love her daffy little expressions and just kind of how she acts out yeah in different uh yeah you know she just kind of bursts open in these weird ways it's like there's hidden depths going on there there are things unsuspected things by her husband especially oh yeah and other yeah and and she's unlike george and martha and to a small extent her husband she is not eloquent at all in putting it out there but she's kind of this blunt instrument that's been invited to the uh sharp utensil society yeah she's she's not witty but but she's completely authentic yeah like I, she's not smart in the same way yeah she's she's had a very simple existence clearly mm-hmm. yeah and she's she's a much more traditional housewife and mm-hmm. you know I'm so proud of him. He's my man. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just can't. I'm just so happy. Oh, it's so nice that, you know, that they they welcomed us to campus and gave like and we get to meet people. A very simple character and structure, but not in execution. Oh, absolutely. But Nick, like yeah. You, you oh, you you like by the time Nick and Honey arrive, you're like those poor people. <laughs> and then but then when Nick and George are talking and Nick is, George is being weird. Yeah. But Nick is being almost deliberately obscure. Yeah. No, I don't work at math. Well, what do you, what, what do you what do? What do you do? And then there's a silence and it's like, there is, there are many social opportunities here mm-hmm. for you to throw out. So why aren't you playing the social game better? Yeah. What? Why are you making that decision? Have you already decided that it's beneath you? Mm-hmm. Are you really that much of a manipulator? Are you are you that inexperienced in how to be social? Mm-hmm. Why would you not know what to do in this scenario? Mm-hmm. That's that makes me look at you and go, you know, George is being weird, but you're not helping. Yeah. Like, you could have been smoothing some of this other, which you, like most people, will instinctively try to do. But you 
aren't. What's your beef? Mm-hmm. What's your beef with George? Yeah. So right there, you're you're kind of looking at Nick like, I, I don't understand exactly what's going on. And then, of course, oh, my God, when Martha shows back up in her sexy outfit, which is just oh, so God. uncomfortably like, oh, God, that's what we're playing out now. Oh, the, Elizabeth Taylor gained 30 pounds for the role. She was 33 at the time and aged up to be in her 50s. Well, yeah, because you can see that. Yeah, that she's got age makeup on. She's got age makeup but, on. But she she put on poundage as well. So when she puts on that outfit, she's, oh, my God, there are mounds of flesh. Just, just like, trust. Oh. Like, overly luscious. Like, yeah. o- overripe is a great word. Oh, yeah. And, and she is just plump. <laughs> and and that... Not necessarily no, in a bad way. Plump I mean, and juicy, like just damn. Just, yeah. Wow, it's a whole lot of that going on. And of course, she's already cuttingly remarked that Honey is slim-hipped. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess he doesn't really like a curvy woman or a real woman. And because she's already like talked inappropriately about Nick mm-hmm. before he even arrived. Yeah, she, he's like Target. <laughs> yeah, she's already painted. It's very clear. She's already painted a Target on that. Uh-huh. So they're talking about their son, and I'm not sure how I feel ultimately about that denouement. But I also, like, this feels cyclical. Oh, absolutely. It's like, oh, same time next week. Yeah, like, like we go through this regularly, although apparently... Well, the son, the son, uh, as much as I can gather, and you know how awkward I am at interpreting things, but as much as I can gather it, if you watch George when she first mentions the son, he's like, oh, this is new level. I don't like this. Shit's going down. Time to ramp up the game. Because I gather she has created, she and he to some extent have created the imaginary son. Where with, with the understanding that this is private. This is private. This is a game they play in private. This is something they share. You know, this is an imagination that she has, that she constructs for herself. This is a bit of happiness she has constructed. And the deal was the fantasy was not for public consumption. And since she has made it so elaborate and it has become so real to her, the moment she mentions it as real to the outside world, George is like, this has to stop. Well, and also... I told you not to, and you deliberately did this, yes. and this is, you're using this in one of our games. Yeah. Like, it does, it like, because there's something about saying this has to stop, makes it sound like George might be, like, a caretaker of, like, okay, honey, you're a little bit, you're a little bit obsessed, you're a little bit off your nut, and I've played along with it, so now I'm gonna, I'm gonna break you of this because it's for you on good. No, it really does feel more like you are using something that has been sacred in one of our games that we play yeah. of one upmanship, and that is fine. That then it's time to go. It's uh, the nuclear option is on the table. Yes, absolutely. So I do think that this is when I say that it feels cyclical. I don't think he's ever like spoiler alert, listeners. Spoiler alert. I don't think he's ever quote killed the son before. No, no. But no, I this feel is new. like I feel like this cycle of something of sort of getting to the point of destroying each other until mm-hmm. one does something truly awful and then they sort of back off and regroup because it's weirdly sweet at the end like yeah it's really she, cathartic she has just slept with somebody else and again i don't know that she'd ever even done that before well i don't think she did and i think it's clearer in the stage play or at least in the interpretation of the stage play i saw things were attempted but didn't consummate. Somebody had had too much to drink. Somebody had too much to drink. But, Namely, it, but regardless, the guy, she which still is, took him upstairs in their bedroom and yeah. tried to have sex with him. Like, I don't feel like this is something, like, that's really getting blatant. Like, she may have may have even slept around, although I think you could even argue that I she's never even done that. I don't think she... I would think she hasn't. I don't think she has. Like um, they, the problem is yeah. that I think every time they cycle through this, they escalate even oh, yeah. more. And now it's gotten to the point where now she's actually sleep, like trying to sleep with people, and like on the one hand, it's cathartic, and they're 
clearly together at the end. Oh, like, yeah. It is clear that this is their partnership is never going to be broken. These mm-hmm. two people are in it forever. But you can't help but wonder, what the shit is their next argument going to yeah, be really. like? Ugh, it's... I, and, and, but I think, I think the, um, you know, the aftermath of trying to sleep with the other guy is, um, you know, first of all, you know, she has all the, the dialogue about him being a flop or, you know, the, uh-huh. yeah, it's like, hmm. So it's like, yeah, yeah, nothing really happened. But you can tell in that scene afterward, she's like, just done with him. It's like, you're the houseboy. Now you, you, yeah. you go fetch, you go fetch. And, you, oh no, you don't like, get to complain you, either because you were only doing that for your own benefit. Yeah. And if you want those benefits, you'd better keep making me happy. Yeah. And you can, you can see he just like plummeted in her eyes. It's like, you can't satisfy me. You are worthless to me. In a weird sort of way. I feel like even the fact that he went through with it is like, you actually thought yeah. sleeping with me was going to benefit you. Mm-hmm. And your wife is here. Like, yeah. like, sure, I'll I'll have sex with you. I'll, I'll try to have sex with you. I'll even have sex with you. But the fact that you want to have sex with me, because she is so fundamentally damaged. Yeah. The fact that you want me at all, you're shit. <laughs> you, you have no value to me. Because mm-hmm. she stands there at the door and she talks about the only man who's ever made me happy is George. Who has made the colossal mistake, the unforgivable, unpardonable act of loving me? Mm-hmm. What idiot would do that? Mm-hmm. And so we play these games with each each other, and I have to. And he's so smart. I mean, that's a great script because yeah. it does give you that doorway into what's happening. It gives you that one moment. Thank you, Albie, where it breaks it open of this is what they're doing, and they are both fully cognizant. And in a weird sort of way, this is. This is their love. Yeah. This is the way they relate to each other. They're And I mean they are and like like it mentioned in the Wikipedia article that yeah. I briefly skimmed, it's like there is something to be said for the fact that they are honestly communicating and engaging with each other. Yeah. And they are no holds barred being who they truly are and giving their partner the utmost weird respect mm-hmm. of keep up or I'm gonna kill you. Mm-hmm. Well, you haven't died yet. I guess I respect you. Let's try again tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Good night, yeah. Wesley. Yeah. Good work today. <laughs> Almost like it kill you in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Whoever wrote that Wikipedia, that portion of the Wikipedia article is, it's like, either they are pathological or they're incredibly authentic. One, <laughs> one, one or the other. Well, and you can't help but really appreciate the difference between their relationship is so toxic Mm-hmm. And yet so balls to the wall open. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they have no secrets. If she has slept around before, she's made sure George knew about it. Yep. And then on the other side, you have Nick and Honey, who are so classically, like, societal expectations. And yet, and and then mm-hmm. doing the classic thing of hiding. Mm-hmm. hiding all sorts of other shit that's going on. I didn't really want to marry her, but she's got money, so that makes it kind of okay. I don't want to have kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, what are you, oh, are you taking a pill? What are you doing, Missy? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, I'll sleep around if it's going to get me ahead at this. Yeah. I am, what did inevitability, like evolutionary inevitability, what do you <laughs> call it? Like, yeah, like I'm going to, I have, I'm ambitious. I'm going to do things and I'm going to do all, I will do awful things if it will get me ahead. But look at me, I'm such a nice guy. Yeah. Like, and so it was kind of hinted at even back with his weird, relate his weird conversation with Georgia, you're not the person that you're supposed to be. And so, on the one hand, would going for drinks with George and Martha be incredibly stressful? Yes. Mm-hmm. But it actually might be weirdly healthier in the long run than <laughs> dealing with Nick and Honey. Yeah. Yeah, really. Like, oh, I don't know. You, and you guys, and by the way, your husband just tried to sleep with her, and you were, like, downstairs in the bathroom. Like, you were drunk in the past down the car, and he went upstairs with her. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. <sighs> I can't, and 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 honey knows. Yeah, she knows that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. Has Nick done this before? Raggy. Although I do love like the first scene where Nick and George are alone together. I love that the scene with the four of them escalates until you get George and 
in Nick alone. And up until then, you're pretty much thinking, good Lord, Martha's a monster <laughs> because it's, it's all pretty much all about her. And, and George is just being quiet, kind of passive. You're out of her. control. You do nothing and, but pick on me. And, and, and he's just kind of in the background and, and Elizabeth Taylor is just chewing scenery for like 20 minutes. And then you get it down to just the guys. And so you're not quite sure yet what to think of George. And then they have those weird, awkward moments where Nick isn't revealing anything. And then, and George is like, huh, game on. Yeah. And, like, and he moves in for the kill real fast. And then you realize, oh, oh, he, he's got game two. Yeah. Like in every time George quote says the wrong word. Yeah. It's. It's either Freudian, sometimes it is Freudian, but sometimes it's deliberate. Oh, and then yeah. that whole scene out by the swing, which is so delightful as they're like relaxing and getting chummy and it's really well staged. Yes. Like it's really well staged. Beautifully. But then there's that turn uh-huh. of just, oh no, I'm just, I'm just digging for dirt on you. Mm-hmm. I'm just out here making sure I know what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh wow, this whole... This whole scene's different now. Mm-hmm. And also, oh, look, you did open up to him and you did tell him things you shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's like, and, and here's a weapon and here's a weapon and here's a weapon and here's a, a gap in my armor. And, you know, we'll just check so, that out. But one thing that I am unsure, and because they even talk about like that, no, that was a lie. No, that, that but that's true. Oh, no, wait, that was a lie too. No, but this is true. And they keep circling around, yeah. that, like, and, you know, even in the last scene, like, truth and illusion, truth and illusion. Do you want the truth or do you want the illusion? What's mm-hmm. going on? The story about the boy who shot his mother and killed his father. What is the truth there? The play doesn't make it clear. Oh, it sure doesn't. Is this something he made up for his story and decided to say was true? Mm-hmm. Is this something that was true about somebody else? Is this something that is true about himself? Mm-hmm. What the hell? So there are unanswered things of, and that also leads you to just how toxic, how warped and interwoven, like curdled, yeah, how curdled their relationship is that they have played with truth for so long that I don't think they even really remember. And it kind of doesn't even matter. Right. Like, was right. that something I made up or was that something that I didn't make up? Or was that true in this scenario, but now it, now I've decided that it I've, I've changed it to be this instead? Like, And, you know, in some, in some ways it just doesn't even matter. It's their little universe and they just play with it and tweak it however they want. Yeah, and they just are playing with it because they have nothing better to do. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been successful like either of them wanted. Like, he hasn't gotten the career he wanted, and she didn't get to have the child she wanted. And so they have turned back on themselves and just started eating themselves Mm -hmm. and each other, which is kind of horrifying. I mean, we've all met people who just don't want to be happy. That is their happiness, is to be unhappy. Well, I mean, you have the type of people where, in a weird way, kind of hurt themselves to feel alive. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... the. If it hurts, at at least I'm feeling something. Well, and this wound hurts so much that I'm going to distract myself by hurting myself worse over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also going to self-medicate with alcohol to try to numb it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to both numb the hurt and distract from it. And then the alcohol will help will help anesthetize me while I commit this hurt over here. <laughs> Like, like, oh. look, my leg is broken. I'll cut off the other one to distract me. <laughs> and then at least they'll be even. <laughs> like, at least I won't have either. Like, they'll be, like, <laughs> neither one will work, so that'll be better. <laughs> oh, God. And you, I mean, you, you can't help but watch it with the title, like, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? And of course, it's referencing the big bad wolf and who's afraid of the the wolf outside the door is what it's supposed to be playing at. Like who's afraid of the wolf outside the door when you should be afraid of what's in the house with you. Right. But it's Virginia Wolf. And so you can't help but be like, what has destroyed them is these societal expectations. Mm -hmm. 
like George should have been more successful. Why? What if this was okay? Mm-hmm. What if you, this was okay? And especially her character, I couldn't have a child and there's literally nothing else for me to do. Mm-hmm. Like the only thing I have to do in this scenario is be your spousal adjunct and your social mover to mm-hmm. help you succeed on the social front. And drink. <laughs> or, yeah. and have a child and yeah. be your, like, you are the wife who is the social mover mm-hmm. and the social niceties. Like, I mean, I don't know how much we remember that back in like the 50s, you know, and previous, the wife's role in middle class and upper society was to facilitate the husband's ambitions on the social front right. by having dinner parties mm-hmm. and by showing off their home and their family and see, we are, look at how successful we are. Mm-hmm. Come over and we will show you how successful we are. Therefore, this will give my husband more opportunities. And this was networking. Like, yeah. everybody come over and you will network and then you, there will be opportunities for my husband. And this is my role. And I had better do a good job of it. Also, mother, I will have your children, which will be proof that you're a man. Because your, your penis works, so there they are. And she couldn't succeed in either way. So I feel for George, but Martha, for me, is the one who drives that. Like, yeah. you really get the sense that George can play any game she throws at him, but she's the one who comes up with the game plan every night. Yeah. She's the one who's coming up with the entertainment. Because she can't do anything else. And there's, I mean, like... Oh my God, this woman, like, <laughs> let her go off and do something else. She'd be amazing. Yes. <laughs> like, put her in charge of the history department if that's what the problem is. <laughs> and then meanwhile, you have Honey as the flip side. Mm-hmm. And both of them have daddy issues. Oh, yes. Oh, daddy Goodness. issues. And no mothers anywhere in... No. No mothers. And nobody's a mother. Nobody's a mother. Like, the concept of motherhood in this is also really fraught with meaning. Uh, Yeah. Like, nobody... Like, the mothers are absent, and the two women can't, aren't, won't be mothers. Because you have poor Martha, who apparently wanted to be desperately, but couldn't. And then you've got Honey, who tracked her husband into getting married with a hysterical pregnancy... But doesn't really want to have kids. Yeah. Except that then when she's talking about their son, she's mm-hmm. like, I do want a baby. So I don't know. Maybe she had a change of heart there. Well, but or she's just drunk and having one of those moments. I, I wonder Which, when they do but, this, do they do it as a period play? Mm. Because the period adds so much to what's going on to the, oh, with those does. two female characters. Like, I don't know if you could do it contemporary and have it have the same caged effect. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, the only time I've seen it, um, it, it was a period piece. I mean, it was very sparsely done, but, you know, the they were using 1960s clothes. I, I really like it. Yeah. I like that part of it because it's not about women being trapped. I mean, it's not the bell jar. No. It's not, you know, any of that. And no, no. yet, take away that piece and the play doesn't make sense and it doesn't work. Right. If you take away the part where women were severely limited in their roles in this time period, everything falls apart and you you can't have this in, this incredibly frustrated character who is the engine of the whole play. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really like about it because it, it is coming back to the idea of this is what happens when you stifle people and limit them, which, I mean, we see play out in... All sorts of, you know, marginalized or oppressed peoples. Eventually, oppressed peoples can't live like that anymore. And so mm-hmm. this is a microcosm of the same thing, like, you know, Langston Hughes and, you know, what happens to a dream deferred? Right. Does, does it just explode? They explode nightly. <laughs> Poor George and Martha. Because <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't figured out a different way to have a dream or something going on there. I'm going to have some weird fucking dreams tonight, man. <laughs> I kept bringing up this movie, like in the early days of the podcast, you know, when we were talking a lot about, you know, feminism and movies. And, you know, of course we still do, but I mean, that's pretty much what we were focusing on in like the first 10 episodes or so. And whenever somebody mentions strong female characters, I keep thinking of this because 
the stereotype of the strong female character nowadays is, you know, she kicks butt and, you know, then there's not much else. You know, the Trinity Syndrome. But then you get something like this play. And I think this is really kind of an ideal sort of way. Because both of the women in this play are polar opposites of each other. And yet they're both fantastic. Fantastic female characters. Yeah, they are nobody's pawn. Yeah. Nobody's victim. Mm-hmm. They both have complete agency in what is going on in their lives. Yes. Now, are their options limited by the situation? Yes. yes. And that's what makes it really powerful. Mm-hmm. This, These women are railing against what their situational limitations are. Mm-hmm. And then making, making choices for themselves of just... Fuck what society wants. I'm going to do this. Like Martha very overtly like, fuck what society wants. I'm going to drink like a fish and I'm going to do whatever the hell I want at mm-hmm. two in the morning and my neighbors can go suck it <laughs> off. I don't care. And honey is like, yeah, I'm supposed to be, wa- I'm supposed to want kids, but I don't. So I'm just not going to have them. Yeah. I just, I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm like, nope. Mm-hmm. I am taking that into my own hands. Yeah. You, you don't have to be completely in control and completely successful completely perfect, completely healthy, to be a strong female character, to be Mm -hmm. a character who is exhibiting strength and agency and something sort of admirable. On some fronts, I mean, it seems weird to call Honey a strong female character, but that is a fantastic female character. And you're right, she is strong in some ways, even though in the context of the movie, she's set up to be this wispy little thing she's a mouse she's a um she's the wifey she's called like a pig at one point i mean Um, she is very deliberately set up as the prey yeah to the hunters yes and and she is and it is expected that she will be devoured and she by the end she looks like it because she's sitting there weeping Mm -hmm. but you gotta you wonder when they walk out the door like what is tomorrow gonna be like for those two I think, oddly enough, I think Honey is going to fare better than Nick. Yeah. Because I think she catches on faster than he does what's going on. And she's, even though she reacts in a very different way, you know, even in when they're in the roadhouse in the movie and uh, Richard Burton is telling the story, you know, I've got a new story. And he starts describing their marriage and Honey is essentially kind of egging him on in her own way. And, you know, she gets... It gets to a point where she's going, yeah, I don't like the story anymore, but I also like stories that are familiar like this. <laughs> yeah. it's It would be easy to interpret her as the goofy, not too bright, I'm just going to play along. Except if she truly was that character, would she have stayed in their house? Right. Would she have kept drinking like that? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's a very nuanced performance because mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that this character looks around and goes... You know what? She is drinking like a goddamn fish, which means at this point I can do whatever the fuck I want in yep. this in this environment. And I'm gonna, yeah, no reason why I can't. No, what are you gonna tell me that I drank too much? Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Nobody's gonna pay attention to me because look at what's going on over there. <laughs> right, right, it's, exactly. I mean, you get like I was saying earlier. You know, you get the the sense very early on. She is not used to drinking like that. She and she it's tasted like, a bit she's, of freedom she, there, and she's like. Well, all bets are off now. Glug, 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 glug. <laughs> what happens now? I don't know. <laughs> wow. Is that what happens when you drink a lot? I want to try that. <laughs> what does that feel like to just say shit like that whenever you want? Damn. <laughs> Woohoo. <laughs> like, well, may- maybe this is what we're all doing. Like, there's so many different ways you can play it, but I think... I think any director with his salt and would guide any actress who also with any sort of capability would be like, that is not what's going on. This character is not simple. This character yeah. is not blind. Yeah. This character, like, especially when you hear about her dad mm-hmm. and the money, like, what was her upbringing like? What mm-hmm. was going on there? Like, there's so many layers you could just be like, you know what? 
yes, whatever you say there, that is a valid choice too. <laughs> I could believe that about that character. Yep. I could believe maybe her father was abusive to her, or maybe she helped launder the money, or maybe she fully knew about mm-hmm. that daddy was stealing, or maybe daddy didn't steal. Maybe she did. Like, there are a billion different ways you could play it, and all of them, when you watch that character, you're like, I would believe that. Mm-hmm. I would believe yeah. there is a rich inner life going on there <laughs> with that character they're all four fascinating yes and it's sort of of all of them nick is the one i hate the most oh absolutely and it's so satisfying when the two just instinctively turn and and it, it's beautifully staged too oh, because yeah. they just turn and they are shoulder to shoulder forming a wall completely united attacking him mm-hmm and it's just like, yes, that is exactly what they do. Like, you think these two are fractured, but no, these two are in orbit around each other. And the minute you try to intervene, mm-hmm. then all you've done is just focus them on you. And now you're getting both barrels. Yeah. Oh, it's mind-blowingly good. <laughs> oh. We already just talked like 55 minutes nonstop about this movie. (laughs) And I knew this would happen. It's really just, oh, there's so many layers there that you can attack it from. I mean, you could talk, because, you know, as as an English teacher, we used to talk about approaching stories from lenses. So, yeah, you you could put the feminist lens on. You could put the 60s civil rights lens on. You could, you could put the class there are class things going on there, like oh, with definitely. honey, like with honey and maybe, well, and, and it's about you know uh, stature and you know navigating society, you know, with uh, Martha's position within. Yeah, I'm the daughter of the president, yeah. and you should have done better. You should be the head of your department, but you haven't. Like social standing, mm. and then there's just a fucking great dialogue. <laughs> so good, so good. What does he call her? Angel boobs? <laughs> Angel and then boobs and then... Monkey nipples? Monkey nipples. <laughs> okay. Here, I love a- that he's like, Angel boobs. And Nick goes, what did you call my wife? And then... But then Nick then starts dancing with Martha in the most honest-to-God grotesque fashion. I'm like, yeah. oh, oh, that would be wildly inappropriate if you two were dating mm-hmm. and if the floor was packed with other people who didn't care but no that you're right in front of your spouses yeah and yeah, burton's like you think you're gonna get at me with this well honey <laughs> oh th- this oh. and like you can tell he's like nick you think you're doing something really offensive like, yeah. like, um, oh, we like did when, this last night. Like when people like think they're telling an offensive joke to a vilifier. It's like, yeah. that's adorable. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's adorable so that you think that's offensive. <laughs> and then you can tell he's also like a little bit disappointed in Martha. Like, this is the best attack you've got right now. Mm-hmm. Really? Oh, honey. Whatevs. Mm-hmm. One of the things about the script of the movie in particular um, when they were going to uh, make the movie, I think it was one of the producers did a new draft of the script and Burton and Taylor took one look at it and went, Nope. And took it back to pretty much just Edward Albee's script. Oh, uh, like the draft. I think that that was the draft where um, the, the producers thought it was a good idea to make the, the son an actual person. What? Oh, like, what? Who, like a the son actually existed and then killed himself. And then bringing him up was like the unforgivable thing. That breaks everything. Yeah. That breaks everything. Because that makes it about the son who destroyed their relationship yeah. when it's, it's no, no, it's no, it's just the two of them. No, it's got to be just the well, two of them. Well, and also, like, what does that say about their relationship? That their answer to their fundamental problem is to come up with an imaginary child. That is so, it's so potent because it is so strange. The ghost of the dead son is something you see a lot in fiction, whereas... When was the last time you saw something like this where where a couple literally just imagined up a son? Yeah. Okay, I've got some trivia here from IMDb. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some good ones. There's Um, some good nuggets on IMDb. This was the first movie to be given the MPAA tag, No One Under 18 Will Be Admitted. Yep. This was was pretty much the first movie to go against 
the uh, motion picture code. Oh, Sandy yeah. Dennis suffered a miscarriage on the set. Yeah. That's sad. Yes, it is. The MPAA insisted on the removal of the term screw you and replaced it with God damn you. Which is but when, a, they, when they opened the door. Yeah. Yeah. But allowed the term screw and hump the hostess to remain in the film. <laughs> this film was seized by police in Nashville for being obscene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was Burton and Elizabeth Taylor who got Nichols the job to directing it. And oh, I forgot about that one. Um, it was Elizabeth Taylor's belief that this role was her personal best. Which is probably true. <laughs> it's a film there's... with such adult language. That's hilarious. <laughs> there, there's a tidbit on IMDb that was talking about the, the schedules that Burton and Taylor would keep. Like uh, that in their contract track, they weren't supposed to show up before 10 a.m. each day and then you know of course they'd have to be in makeup for like two hours then they go to lunch and then you know they wander back like four or five p.m. and then it was in the contract they couldn't act after six <laughs> jesus <laughs> so the f- oh this is yeah. the first film in which the bbc allowed the word bugger Ooh, interesting edward albee uh came up with the title he saw it scribbled on a bathroom wall Mm-hmm. In New York, mm-hmm. which that's kind of interesting. The fourth of 11 films that Taylor and Burton starred in together. Mm-hmm. Oh, Albie envid- envisioned Betty Davis and James Mason in the role. So I'd she would have that. been parodying a line from one of her very own. <laughs> one of her own films. Oh, the f- original cinematographer was fired. Yeah. For trying to beautify Elizabeth Taylor. Yep. And thank goodness for Pascal Wexler. He's amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he just passed away this last year. Oh, Elizabeth Taylor and Sandy Dennis had on-set competitions to see who could belch the loudest. And Dennis would usually win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nichols was a first-time new. He regretted that he actually chose to do it on location. He's like, yeah, we could have done it on the back lot. I do kind of like the... The scenery changes that they have. I mean, they're very, very simple. They they suit the material, but uh, it does kind of give a um, a structure to it. Also, I kind of like that. They, that I uh, I like that they're seen driving. Not that I approve of drunk driving, but I I love that you know yeah. of this era. You know, if somebody drinks and then gets in a car, usually things are fine. But uh, not in this movie. It's like. You, you see them drinking, go, oh, no, they should not get behind a wheel of a car. And then they drive like drunk people. Yes. And, and, then, and, and, and then you find them parked later, like, oh, it's a good thing they didn't hit anything. Yes. They, the, the car is like half on the lawn. One of the doors is left open. The, 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 the blinker's the, on. The dome light is still on. It's, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a mess. Yeah. So what can we say in wrap up about this movie? Melissa. 50 years later, it's still incredibly potent. <laughs> Potent's a good word. Like, that is strong drink. Yeah, that, it, well, literally. <laughs> I chose that metaphor for a reason. You can get a contact drunk from this movie. Yeah, I did not need to drink alcohol watching it or afterwards. Yeah, no. I don't know how... It's it's amazing that those characters could still needle each other that well while being that, that drunk. drunk. Yeah. Oh boy, like, that's a level of. Like, they should. Like, that's like military grade right there. That's like, tactical. You can be that coherently biting while being that drunk. I need to hone my skills. Damn. I can't do that. I can't like, do that when I, well, sober. No. Well, I'm also generally a happy drunk. Like yeah. I, I don't, my idea, I get that drunk and I'm like, let's all sing karaoke and eat donuts. <laughs> uh, dear listeners, there is only one donut left. <laughs> right now. <laughs> and I, that is not a figurative thing for me to say. <laughs> I'm looking at it. It's right there. Yep, there is a donut. So <laughs> I insisted on donuts earlier. What yes. are you going to do? <laughs> yes. So uh, we really enjoyed this. Yes. Um, yes. It, and if you haven't seen it yet, good lord go watch it yeah it's highly recommended and hooray for albie i like albie i mean uh like i feel like yeah you'd probably want a chaser of something a little bit less concentrated 
Let's put it that mm. way. Less concentrated after. What would be yeah. a good pairing what with would this? Be, like what would be a chaser? Like, dessert. Um, like mm. something, a, some, a relationship movie. Even a complicated one, but one that is less fraught. <laughs> the Philadelphia Story. Yeah. That's yeah, what you want to watch afterwards. There you go. Complicated relationship because of interpersonal communication difficulties and translations. <laughs> Another couple that gets dragged into it. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Another couple that gets dragged into it, gets dragged into the middle of their relationship. But ultimately, come the dawn, because mm. it's an all-night story. That's right. You're right. You're come right. the dawn, everything gets resolved. Okay. Philadelphia story. That's what it is. <laughs> Mic drop. Boom. I'm pretty damn pleased with myself. Like, there, there's one out there. I know it. I know it. I can taste it. It's in there. Urgh. <laughs> Uh, okay, so so Wendy, do we have recommendations for this week? Um, I've got to come up with something non-Hamilton related. Warning, Hamilton alert. I've got to come up with something non-Hamilton related. <laughs> he was at the White House. The I whole know. Cast was at the I White know. House. I know. I tried to link yeah. you to that. Yeah, you you did. You linked me to it. That was very nice of you to enable my my problem <laughs> right there. I want to win the lottery just so I can go and see the show. <laughs> like like it'd be like yeah, I'd be nice to pay off my student loans. Really, I just want enough money to fly to New York and be able to afford a ticket to Hamilton. That's <laughs> What I most want in the that world. That seems right like now. it should be attainable even without the lottery. Uh, it's several. It would be several thousand. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't need to win like a million dollar jackpot. I just need to win like you know ten thousand dollars. Like this is possible, <laughs> which wouldn't be enough to cover my student loans anyway. No. So you know, fuck you, student loans. I'm going to spend it on Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay, I got, seriously, I gotta think. What What is making me happy right now? Oh, I think I know. At, at least for me. I mean, I've been happy crocheting hats recently. Okay, so dear listeners... <laughs> first of all, Wendy's hats are fantastic. But second of all... But it, but I've already suggested Wendy's hats um, <laughs> in, in a past episode. But some good Samaritan made a Playmobil set. For the witch. Yes! <laughs> Including little black Philip. <laughs> okay, is that your recommendation? That is my recommendation. Damn it, that's a good one. I will, I will link it in the show notes. There's a lovely <laughs> set of photos. The witch play set with the little farm and the little Satan goat <laughs> and the, the eerie rabbit. <laughs> oh my god. And, you know, it, just all the in the little forest to go with it. It's it's so cute. It it's so adorable. It's very adorable. It is very very adorable. And there's even a little exorcism scene. <laughs> uh, dear listeners, if you still haven't seen The Witch, you should go see it. You it's really should good. see the the Vivitch. The Vivitch. The Vivitch. The Vivitch. And I love that the whoever put together Playmobil set did did the the Vivitch. With like the the logo and the Playmobil has the an N for the M. <laughs> yes, I saw that too. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant! It's brilliant. I love it so much. Um, so, Wendy, do you have something yet? Uh, I tried to buy time for you. I know you did. I'm sorry. I've just been. It's been Hamilton and crocheting lately. I am working on a black Philip hat. I'm trying to learn how to Ooh. crochet curved horns. It's Ooh. very difficult. I can imagine. Oh, I know what. Yes. I don't think I've recommended this. Mm. You tell me if I've recommended this. Okay. Have I recommended Alto's Adventure? I don't think so. Okay. I will recommend Alto's Adventure because inevitably after we get done, I'm like, I still haven't recommended Alto's Adventure. Alto's Adventure is a game for your mobile device. Claire introduced me to it. The graphics on it are really clean and lovely. Okay. Um, it is a... A scrolling continual runner mm-hmm. game, and it's it's two D, so you're ju- it's just a scroller, um, and the music is very pleasant. Okay, like so the sensory inputs are very pleasingly 
medit honestly almost a little bit meditative the concept of the game is that you are in the himalayas the chilean mountains somewhere with lots of mountains where you are a llama herder okay and your llamas have run away okay so you are snowboarding down the mountain to get your llamas Uh, i can appreciate that because you are a hip young thing and instead of chasing after them in other ways you're going to do it on a snowboard so you start chasing llamas when you run over a llama or you know pass a llama you it stops running so you and you you got that llama um you get points for startling birds Mm -hmm. there are rocks in your way that you have to jump over and the game mechanic is very simple it's you tap to jump and you tap and hold to jump and do a Mm backflip like if you hold you start spinning into a backflip and so you get points for tricks right and you can jump up onto uh, ropes full of prayer flags and grind on them. You can jump up onto roofs and grind on them. You can jump off of big hills and do like double backflips. There are, there's a magnet and there are coins that you can collect and then you can buy like things for the game. Like you can buy a magnet that sucks coins to you and then like increase its potency. You can buy a wingsuit, which allows you to fly for a little bit, which is cool. Nice. And then as you level up, you unlock different characters who can do things slightly differently. I'm working on getting to the one where you have the llama that has learned how to snowboard. And so you get to play a snowboarding llama. <laughs> it's so All cute. right. And then every once in a while, you jump over the camp of an elder <laughs> who is mad at these whippersnappers with their <laughs> snowboarding. So he has a little fist up in the air. And he chases you. Oh, nice. And you have to keep doing tricks to keep your speed up. To keep outrunning him until, and there are chasms regularly that you have to jump over until you get to it. He will keep chasing you until you get to a chasm and run and jump over it successfully. If he catches you or if you trip and fall or do something before that happens, then he, he rides by on his horse and he bonks you on the head and you can hear a very definite sort of punk noise. (laughs) And then this message just pops up. Respect your elders. <laughs> so there, lovely. I, I am recommending Alto's Adventure. Teddy has been playing it nonstop since I introduced it to her to shut her up one day when she was bored. I'm like, here, <laughs> play this game on my phone. I don't know. You don't have the games I like. I'm like, here, here's Alto's Adventure. You'd like that. It's super easy. Play it. And she's like, Mom, I'm on. <laughs> can you do this thing yet? No, I can't. I can. Shut up, kid. Okay, we got to wrap this up. Yes, we do. We do. We do. All right. Uh, so thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on this week's Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I have been Melissa, and this has been... Windy. And we have enjoyed talking uh, at you, I suppose it is. Yeah. <laughs> talking at you tonight. Filling but... your ears in much the same way that Martha fills George's. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And George fills Martha's. Oh, yes. When given the chance. That sounds... Dirty and appropriate. So anyway, uh, we'll leave you with that. Okay. And and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com Follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Blurble, blurble, blurble. (laughs) I filled it up so it didn't burble as much. (laughs) Blah, 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 blah.